Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. We started out the worship thing. I was like, oh, this is our regular 930 crew. And then as each song went on, more and more people were coming in. We should just keep singing and we have the whole place overflowing. So. <laughs> so today is a little different than what we're regularly doing. Today is our ministry fair. If you've been with us for a while, you know that this is a time where we uh, take some time after the service to explore the different ministries at IBCD. We have a lot of things going on in this church. It's a busy church. And, uh, and we need people to be involved in it. And so we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. More, not, not just jumping up and down on you need to do, you need to do, you need to do, but also but more talking about why, why you need to be involved and how that is a part of your faith walk. And if you've, again, if you've been here for a little while, you've probably heard my story of how I was called to be a pastor. It was pretty simple, really. Uh, I had been planning to be a missionary, and, uh, and, and I was going to be an agricultural missionary. Uh, back in the day, uh, the churches I was a part of, they would, do, they would set up hospitals and seminaries, and they had agricultural pro- uh, projects as well as telling people about Christ, and those were all used as a context. And so I studied agriculture. I have two, actually I have two degrees in agriculture, and that was my plan, and then everything changed. The, the direction of the churches I was involved in changed. And so when I went to seminary, I didn't really know what I was going to do, and, uh, but I was studying and just kind of open to the Lord. And one, uh, after a couple of years there, seminary was three years, well, three and a half for me, and uh, there's this area of study called ecclesiology. And ecclesiology is the, it's the fancy name for the theology of the church. And as I was in this class and, and listening to it, I began to really kind of understand better that the church is more than just a, a gathering place, and it's certainly, it's certainly more than a building. It's the bride of Christ, and the professor was talking about, you know, the bride of Christ and how important it is to God, that God loves the church. And I remember coming out of the class and and, and as I was just kind of walking down the halls, I felt this impression on my soul that was this question saying, do you love my bride? And I'm not one that like, has auditory experiences with God and that sort of thing, but it was a question I knew wasn't coming from my own kind of academic curiosity. It was a question that was being laid on me. Do you love my bride? And I thought about it for a while, and I realized that while I indeed appreciated the church, I'd been a part of the church for a lot of my life at that point, uh, I, had, I had a deep appreciation for what I had gained from the church, I had a deep appreciation for the people of the church, I'd never really thought of the church as something to love, uh, like you would love a person. Uh, it, was just, it, was a, it was an organization that I had gained a lot from, but I'd never really thought of it as a relational type thing. And as I prayed about it and thought about it, I realized, yeah, I had, over time, kind of fallen in love with the church, with the bride of Christ. And then, as, and then when I was able to respond with that, to that question with, yeah, I do love your bride, then the calling of my life was, take care of my bride. And that was it. That's, that's the extent of the calling in my life, take care of my bride. It's not, uh, it's not to, to, you know be a big shot in any kind of way. I've actually kind of sort of steered uh, out of other arenas to just stay more within the local church for my career up to now, because that's the call, love my bride. And in the sermon today, as we talk about, as we prepare for this ministry fair, 
I want to explain some of the understandings that, that I've grown in when it comes to understanding roles within the church and the function of the church and how, as a part of the church, you are also have a place of function and role within the church and to understand it. And one of the reasons why it's good for us to do something like this at least once a year is because a lot of you come, we all come from many different backgrounds here, not just from different countries, but also from different church cultures. And some of you come from a very hierarchical church culture where it's very top-down, priest-led, for example. If you come from the Anglican background or Catholic background, uh, things tend to be very top-down. And you might not really kind of understand what it is and why it is we ask you to be a part because we have a different point of view, and I'm going to share that with you today. And I think that a lot of you understand this. A lot of you might not. I think many of you do love the church, or at least you have an appreciation for the church, but you not, might, might not be entirely clear as to the theology of the church. So we're going to share a little bit that, share a little bit of that today. So first of all, what is the church? Well, for today, it's important to understand the church isn't a building, as much as we're thankful we have a building. It's not an organization. The church is the people. And that's what this little illustration shows, that this is a little, it looks like a church building, but it's made up of a bunch of little people there. And the word for church uh, in the Greek is ekklesia. That's why the, the theology of the church is called ecclesiology. It comes from ekklesia. And ecclesia in the Bible, in Greek, isn't necessarily a Christian word. Uh, in the Greek, it was used for any time that you were talking about a group of people that were taken from the general population and set upon a particular task that became an ecclesia. It could be political, like in the Greeks, they would have like, you know, the folk, the people, and they would draw a group of people out to, to, for a specific task. That was the ecclesia. And this is how the church is described in the, in the New Testament, is the ecclesia. It's a group of people who are called out from the world, from all the people in the world, called out for a specific task, called out for a specific reason. And that reason is to take the gospel to the nations and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is our mission statement. This is why IBCD exists, to take the gospel to the nations and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And one of the benefits and wonderful things we have going on here at IBCD is the nations come to us. So even though we're in this kind of little uh, area up in the woods here, uh, we talked about you know, being a, a city on a hill, we're kind of a, a little city in the woods, but the nations come to us and we want to share the gospel, grow you in Christ. Because many of you are going to come and only be here for a few years and then go continue out into wherever it is God leads you in the world. And we want to do our part to equip you so you understand your role, not just within the local church, but within the kingdom of God. And this mission statement to take the gospel to the nations and make disciples of Jesus Christ, we didn't make this up. This comes directly from Christ. At the end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this right before his ascension. So this is after the resurrection and he's talking with the disciples. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So, before he makes this big statement, understand the context from which he's making it. He's making it from the centerpiece of all authority. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
And the reason why he says that right before he says this next bit is he wants us to understand how important this next part is. With all the authority on heaven and earth, Jesus says, therefore, in other words, because all this authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, is coming from the center of the authority of all things created, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the reason the church exists. If you say, well, why, why do we gather together? What is the point of the church? Worldwide, this is the reason why every single church exists. Now, the problem is a lot of churches don't know that this is the reason why they exist. A lot of churches get off track. They think they exist for themselves. They think they exist to just be nice to people. But this is what Jesus tells us. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That is why we exist. This is what your role is as an individual within the kingdom of God. This is what our role is as a church body in the kingdom of God. And it's crucial to understand this because this then becomes the, the foundation upon which we do all the things that we do as a church. And so, as we take this in, there's other metaphors then given to us as a church. So this is why we exist, but then how do we function? And how are we supposed to work together? Well, there's a couple metaphors. There's two main metaphors given in the, of what the church is and how, what your role is in the church. And both these metaphors talk about your role as an individual, just you as a person, individual believer in Christ. And also, at the same time, they talk about your role and our role as a group. And one of those metaphors is the metaphor of the body. He says this. This is Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, the body is a unit though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So you have the individual forming the one, the individuals forming the one. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, one singular part. In other words, we're not all the same, but many parts. And then he goes on to explain that further in the scripture. And then he comes down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And the you there is plural. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. So this is one metaphor that the body, even though the body is a unit, it has all these different parts. And if you want to go into that scripture, he'll say not everyone's an eye, you know, because it's not like we're just a big giant eye rolling around. We need to have all the different parts in order to function. If we don't have all the parts, we won't function the way we're supposed to function. And something to keep in mind, which we've talked about a lot, and we, and we talk about it often, is that sometimes, because we function differently, our role is different than the kingdom of God, sometimes it's hard for us to understand why another person functions the way they do. You know, sometimes we look at a person and go, why, why are you doing this? Why is this your passion? Or why is this not your passion? We have a tendency to think that what's important to me must be important to you. And if it's not important to you, there's something wrong with you. But we're a body. And there's differences. Uh, I was talking to Tatiana just uh, this weekend. You know, she's very passionate for evangelism. 
And uh, I have to admit, I'm not a passionate go-on-the-street evangelist guy. I never have been. I just, I'm, I'm actually introverted by nature. I, love, I don't mind getting up and preaching. I like, the, I like getting into the Word, teaching and all that. Getting up and standing on the street corner and evangelizing, not my thing. And I've often felt guilty about that because it seems like, well, I should be able to want to do that. But I evangelize in different ways. We function differently as a body in Christ. Renee, you know, he works at, he goes and does prison ministry. I'm a big guy. I don't want to go into a prison. It kind of freaks me out, the idea, to be honest with you. And, uh, and you think, well, what are you worried about? It's not that I'm, uh, I'm really worried, but it's not, it's not that passion. I don't feel that passionate pull to go into the prisons. Renee does. He's a part of the body. That's what he does. And so we're different in different ways, but together we work in order to move the kingdom of God forward. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't push ourselves. It doesn't mean that if the Holy Spirit says, I want you to do it anyway, we go, but I'm not made that way. You know, if the Holy Spirit says do it, you do it. But you also need to be understanding of who you are and what your role is. Another metaphor that's used in the scripture is the metaphor of a temple or a building. He talks about Jesus being living stones and us being living stones. He says, as you come to him being Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. One of the emphases of this scripture, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, is the idea that we have a tendency to think that priests are this kind of spiritual class that's above us. And we have this hierarchy within spiritual understanding of the church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but that is not the image that we're given in the Bible. The imagery given in the Bible is that we together are in that place of a priesthood. And as Baptists, we believe in this thing called the priesthood of the believer. If you're a believer in Christ, then you are in that role because the way we define being a priest is that person that is, has the ability to introduce people to God. Because in the old days, that's what a priest did. Sometimes they did it with uh, good intentions. Sometimes they did it manipulatively. But that idea that they were the ones that sort of were the God person that would tell people about God, their gods or God and introduce them to them or bring them into a place where they can relate well, that's what you can do if you're in Christ. You don't have to have a special education to do that. What you have to have is a relationship with God. If you have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you can introduce other people to Christ. Then you, in that sense, are functioning as a priest. And that's why we believe in this thing called, again, the priesthood of the believers. And again, he talks about it in, uh, in Corinthians. Uh, Paul talks about it. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? The you here is plural. One of the difficulties sometimes in English is that you can be plural and you can be singular. And it's very difficult to tell just by looking at it. If we're talking about plural or singular, I can say I'm talking to you as an individual. I can say I'm talking to you as a group. And unless there's some way to know you don't know. It's hard to read it and say, is this singular or, or plural? That's why it has this little bit of an awkward bit. It says, you yourselves. That's kind of the English way of trying to make it clear that this is plural, that the you here is plural. 
You yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. This is why we say the church is not a building. It's the people. We make up the temple. And God's spirit dwells within us as individuals, but it also dwells among us as a body in Christ. And this is why how we are living out our lives as individuals can affect the whole body in Christ. Because we are like, we're like this temple. We're built. There's all these stones. Or we're a body and we're all these different parts. And if a part of it is sick or broken or has allowed sin to riddle their lives and make it weak, then that will affect the integrity of the whole. So who you are as an individual is important as it affects who we are, who we are as a whole. And again, it comes back to this concept of the priesthood of the believer. You know, the church started with just normal people leading it. Sometimes when we, read, when, we, when we think about the church, especially if you came from a background where it's priest-led, you have a tendency to say there's a class of the spiritual. And then there's everyone else who sits in the chairs. That's not how we understand the church. Because if you look at it, who did Jesus draw around him? He drew around him a bunch of fishermen. He drew around him a tax collector. He drew around him a guy that was a zealot. And a zealot back in the day was basically kind of a domestic terrorist that were fighting against the Romans. He drew all these people around him. Jesus himself, he wasn't a priest from the temple. He was a hand worker. And sometimes that gets translated as carpenter, but actually in the language itself, it's just a, a hand worker, a man that worked with his hands. And there was no real hierarchy that was based on titles or offices held. It was more about relationships. And But it only took about 400 years of the church being formed for most of that to go away because old habits die hard. And what the church did, in a couple ways, they began to mirror the world around them. In one sense, they mirrored the Old Testament. Instead of having the high priest, now you had a pope. Instead of having the, uh, the other priests within the temple, you had the cardinals and the bishops. And they just kind of mirrored the Old Testament. But at the same time, the church was also mirroring the world. When the church became the official religion of Rome, they also mirrored the government of Rome, where you had the emperor. Now you also had a pope. Where you had your magistrates and mayors and stuff like that. Now you had the cardinals. The church lost its track of who it's supposed to be, and they began to try and copy the past, and they tried to copy their present by being part of the government of Rome. And they lost what it meant to be the church, and it became very top-down. And you had to have a special name, you had to have a special purpose, you had to have gone through special rituals to be the person that could be the priest. And instead of the priesthood of the believer, it became the priesthood of the ones that knew the, the special language, who knew the special rites, maybe the only ones within the congregation who could read. And it became, instead of a, a movement of the people, it became a movement of the few who controlled and manipulated the people. And the church got off track. And in the 1500s, this reformation takes place. And it doesn't all just happen with Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a huge part of it. But actually, the Reformation was a process that had been boiling and boiling. And at the time of Luther, Luther is the one that survives. He's, he's taken in by this prince, Prince Frederick the Wise, and he survives. And Luther is very, very impactful, by far not perfect. 
But there wasn't the only movement. There was these movements going on around. There's this movement called the Anabaptist movement. We're actually not a direct descendant of the Anabaptists. But they were, they were going back, and, the, and part of what the movement was, and he had different levels of it, but the, the level of the movement that, that we most associate with is the level that said, let's get back to what the Bible has to say. And so there's four principles that are around basically Baptistic belief. And I, I understand not many of you come from a Baptist background, but I think most of you could agree with this. One is we're going to remove all the stuff that's been laid on top of the Bible as authoritative tradition and just get back to what the Bible says. Because there had been a lot of stuff laid on top of the Bible in the name of tradition that was changing the message of the Bible. That was Luther's thing. Luther, when he began to read the Bible, he realized the Bible says we're saved by grace, through faith, not by works. And yet he was being taught at that time, you have to do all these works. And that was Luther's big aha moment, was that he read the Bible and goes, we're saved by grace, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. So then why is it that I'm being told at the time, and this is just historic fact, this isn't beating up on anybody, at the time, if you want to uh, get out of the time being spent in purgatory, which is a concept that's not found in the Bible, it's kind of this in-between heaven and hell place, you can actually pay money to the church and you can get out of your time being spent in purgatory. And on top of that, if you want to sin and not be held accountable for it, you can also pay the church for the right to sin. It was called selling of indulgences. Have you ever heard of these? If you go down to Wittenberg, which in, you know, in, in the eastern Germany there where Luther was, they have examples of these certificates of indulgence, where if you bought the certificate, you can sin. And it's already been paid for, not by the blood of Jesus, but by the coin in your pockets. And then if you wanted to get someone, a friend of yours or a relative of yours uh, out of purgatory, there's this guy that went around and he was selling, the, uh, selling these things. And it was one of the first commercial uh, kind of jingles, you know, of advertising. And uh, it, it, trans it also rhymes in German, but I don't want to presume to try and say it in German. But basically it says, when, as soon as the coin in the box rings, a soul from hell will spring. Crazy. That's how far off base things had gotten. So Luther, though, he didn't want to change the, the, all the stuff that, that uh, other groups wanted to change. He wanted to keep the structure in place of church and state relationship. He wanted to keep the institution of the church in place. He wasn't trying to start the Lutheran church. He was wanting to reform the Catholic church. But of course, that didn't, it worked and didn't work kind of all at the same time. But Baptists come along and they go, we can't really keep all this. This whole thing is corrupt. So we're going to remove all the traditions that get in the way of the Bible. The Bible is a sole authority. The other, then as they looked at the Bible as a sole authority, they said, you know what? More often than not in the New Testament, people who are believers are the ones who are baptized. You don't see anywhere in the New Testament a specific example of an infant being baptized. Now, if you were baptized as an infant, I was baptized as an infant. It doesn't mean you're, not, you're going to hell or anything like that. But if you want to be following Christ in a biblical pattern, then you should follow him in believer's baptism. And I did that as well. When I was 18, I got baptized as a believer. And the idea of infant baptism also comes from this strange theology that says basically the sin of humanity passes down 
through sexual contact. That sin passes down through the semen of the man. And when you're born, you're born with a stain of sin on you that has to be scrubbed off by holy water. And Augustine, this comes from this guy named Augustine. And Augustine was very influential in good ways and bad ways. And this was one of his more out there kind of theories, but it really took hold. And so people used to teach, if that baby is born and is not baptized, it's going to hell. And you don't see that in the scripture either. And the other thing that, that Baptists believed in was this idea of the priesthood of the believer. It took the passage out of Peter and said, you know, because we have this relationship with Christ, we all function. You know, I'm not some, spe some special, you know, super spiritual person. I haven't been given some. I, I believe I've been called by God to be a leader within the church. That doesn't mean that I'm some different class of person than you are, though. I'm your brother in Christ walking along with you. For some of you, I'm a bit of an older brother, not just in age, but maturity. It used to be, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that I would say I was your older brother, but also only in maturity because I was like 29 when I started pastoring and like everyone was older than me, which was, I had to be so hard for them. I look back on that and go, man, they were a good group of people who put up with my, my weirdness and my youth, but they listened and they were part of that, but that's not what makes me special. Makes me, you know, I'm no more special. I need you to pray for me. You can be my priest sometimes. When I'm down, you can lift me up. When I, my eyes are getting off the track, you can pull me back on. Some of you have. We function with each other in this way. And then the final thing, which probably doesn't mean a lot to, lot, to many of you, but uh, Baptists, because they didn't want to be pushed around by the government anymore, they believed in this thing called the autonomy of the local church. The local church makes all its decisions for themselves. They don't, have, they don't have someone above telling them what to do. And you say, well, what happens if that church goes completely insane? And it does happen. You've had like leaders come in, very strong leaders who believe Jesus is a spaceman or something like that. What do you do? Well, there's mechanisms within the Baptist family to deal with stuff like that. But for the most part, it's kind of hands off. And it's the same here. I was voted to be pastor by this church and this church only. I wasn't appointed to this church. I was appointed, you can say I was appointed by God and affirmed by you, and that's true. But there's not a bishop above me that said, you're going to go here and now you're going to go there. That's just not how we function. We function very much as a, we are the family in Christ. We are the body in Christ. We are the temple together. And we are working where God has planted us here in this place right now in this time and in this place to further the kingdom of God, to go into the nations, to make disciples and to grow people in Christ. And so with that in mind, let's look at what Peter says. He had a more, he, uh, more, we'll read the extra scriptures around it and you'll see that this idea is there. So we talked about some of this already, but we'll read it again. As you come to him, being Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What, is, what are some of the spiritual sacrifices you bring? Well, it's yourself. Your, 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 your own will, where you set yourself aside and you take up the will of God, you die to self, you live for Christ. There's all these different ways that we talk about this and we mention and we uh, express this within the church. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Now he's talking about Jesus here. 
And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The cornerstone, when you built a building, had to be perfect because all the other stones lined up based on that cornerstone. Jesus is that cornerstone. He's the one we keep going back to because he's perfect and we line up our lives with him. If we don't line up our lives with Jesus, we're lining up our lives with something that's not quite right. And the further you get away from it, by time or by the distance of teaching, you start to go wrong. That's why we keep going back to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus, because he's that cornerstone. Now, for those of you who believe, this stone is precious. But those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone which causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. We see that today. For many of you who are believers in Christ, Jesus is precious to you. For many who don't believe in Christ, he is a problem. Sometimes he's a problem because they don't understand him. They don't understand what the Bible says. You have to be careful just because someone's brilliant in one area of life doesn't mean he's brilliant in another. There's this guy on YouTube uh, you may have heard of him, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Have you ever heard of Neil deGrasse Tyson? He's an astrophysicist, generally a pretty smart guy. He has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to Christianity. I've listened to him trying to, you know, why he kind of, and he kind of blows off Christianity, his foolishness. He knows as much about Christianity as I know about astrophysics. Which is to say, I know, believe it or not, I know something about astrophysics. Just enough to carry on a conversation with some people, maybe at a party, Certainly not enough to say that I'm a, a, I have studied it. And that's about the same level that he understands Christianity. He's a brilliant guy in, in many different areas, but not in Christianity. And yet he feels like he has the right to speak about it. And people like him and others, they distort who Jesus is. They have no idea the depth of what the Bible's trying to say. He gets caught up in just 24-hour day of creation because he's an astrophysicist. That makes no sense. Therefore, the entire Bible makes no sense to him in his mind. That's what he basically will say that. Written 2000, he's one of these that's written 2,000 years ago. Therefore, it's no longer relevant type people because he hasn't gotten into it very deeply. But for those who believe the stone is precious. And so it goes on to say, you know, a stone that can cause men to stumble, a rock which makes them fall. They, they have Jesus and they keep falling over him. That, well, Jesus says do this and they don't know what to do about it. Someone just want to reject it. Some fall over it. Some say, well, I'm just this way and I want to be this way. And if Jesus doesn't accept me the way I am, then too bad. Or they say, I'm this way and I'm sure Jesus does accept me with all my sin. And it's like, no. You conform to Christ. He's the cornerstone. We're not the cornerstone. You don't want Jesus to conform to you. Trust me, you don't want Jesus to conform to you. Because if he does, then you end up having a broken and sinful God. And that's not what we have. Because they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. Again, the ecclesia. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a nation that crosses borders, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who you are. Be you Jew or Gentile. Be you male or female. Be you slave or free. This is who you are. And today we could say, be you rich or poor. Be you American, be you Kenyan, be you Nigerian, be you German, be you Belgian, be you wherever you're from. If you're a human being created in the image of God and you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are part of that chosen people. Chosen by God. And so what does this have to do with the ministry fair? Well, this is the context in which we function as a church. This is the context in which you function as a church. You know, IBCD isn't just a place to receive, to receive the word or to receive discipleship or to receive some kind of, of uplifting sort of thing. It's okay to receive that, but that's not its main point. The main point of the church isn't for us to sit like a bunch of baby birds in the nest with our mouths hanging open, waiting to be fed. That may be a place we start, when you're starting in your faith, sure. But at some point, we need to fly. At some point, we need to, to leave that nest. And not leave Christ, but to grow and to function. It's a place to engage. And this is where the leadership at IBCD and me, you know, while I'm still part of the body, I'm not the entirety of the body. Just because I stand up on a stage doesn't make me even two-thirds of the body, I'm just a part. And we do a lot of stuff at this church, but I can tell you, if we stripped out all the leadership and I was left, there wouldn't be a lot going on. There'd be some stuff on Sunday morning. I doubt it be, wouldn't be online. Might not even have microphones. We could survive, but it would be tough. We wouldn't be doing the homeless ministry. We wouldn't be doing all the different Bible studies we've got going on. We wouldn't be doing ministry to our children. We wouldn't be doing ministry to uh, our, our young adults. We wouldn't be doing ministry in our home groups. If it was all stripped out and it was left up to one person, you wouldn't have IBCD. And you wouldn't really have a church. And this is important to understand. It's important to understand that with the Holy Spirit in your life, you are indispensable and you have a place in the church. And we don't just do things in order to earn our salvation. And we've been going through Galatians. That's clearly not what we're about. But it is a place to engage so you can grow in faith. So I want to leave us with a few thoughts as we consider, as you attend the ministry fair. I want you to understand that serving in the church is a form of discipleship. So you don't, we don't ask people to serve in the church just to plug in the gaps. We don't ask people to serve in the church just because we need to get things done. Of course, we do need to get things done, but that's not why we ask people to serve in the church. Serving in the church gives you an opportunity to explore who you are in Christ, to explore different areas that you might be able to grow in. You may not, in your, in your worldly, secular life, ever have much to do with teaching, for example. And we have a church full of children. And children's ministry is a funny one because, again, I've been around the church quite a while, not just this church, but the church. And you go to these churches that are just full of old people 
And they will often complain or moan or be sad about the fact that they have no children in the church because children bring a sort of vitality. They bring a life, right? Then you go to a church that has a lot of children and the people go, oh my goodness, they bring so much vitality in life. They're driving me crazy. (laughs) And we don't really, you know, it's kind of you either have it full on or you don't have it at all. And we are in the place, we have it full on. I mean, look at the empty chairs now. You see that whole crew that went trooping out? That's the future of the church. Now, some of you are young enough that that you can say, well, I'm still the future too. Yeah. But that's that's the future that's going to be the next 30, 40, 50 years. Do we want to invest in that future or not? That takes work. I, I've, done, I've done just about every job in the church. I've been a facilities guy. I've been, a, that was kind of by default. The first church I went to, the church building was falling apart. And I told folks later on in seminary, they need to teach you how to do basic maintenance because it was crazy. I was the one that had to do a bunch of stuff. I've taught Sunday school. The first thing I did when I became a believer and got really involved in the church, I taught junior high boys. And I later found out the reason why I was given the opportunity to to teach junior high boys is no one else wanted to do it. (laughs) I thought I was was given a special opportunity. And it was weird to think about it. I was only about five, six years older than these guys I was teaching. Most of that first crew that I taught are now in their late 40s. That's so bizarre. But serving in the church is a form of discipleship. If you have the right attitude, it will grow you in many different ways. And that's how you should approach it. Don't just approach it as like, I got to do this because uh, I, 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 no one else will. I got to do it because if I don't do it, no one's going to do it right. Or I have to do this because somehow it makes me feel good about myself. It's not what it's about. It's about putting yourself in the arena that then allows you to explore growth within yourself, who you are as a person, who you are in Christ. The other thing to be thinking about is if you are a born-again believer in Christ, it is your birthright and an expectation from your father to participate in his church. It is your birthright because you are the sons and daughters of God. You are the princes and princesses of the universe. You are the ones whom, for whom Christ died and called out to form his church. And you have the right to participate and the expectation to participate. Because this bride of Christ is something that God loves. He loves the bride. Sometimes the bride isn't very lovely, but he loves the bride nonetheless. And he wants you to be part of that. He expects you to be part of it. Now, of course, there are some guardrails in place to keep this thing from flying off the, you know, because if if everyone just jumps in and says, my idea is from God, off I go, blah, 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 without a lot of understanding as to what's going on, you know, we can go down the crazy lane. So there are guardrails in place. We, have, we do have structure within the church. You do have leadership. We have elders. We have other leaders. We have the admin team. We have our deacons. We have, you know, the people who lead the ministries. There are people there in place to kind of keep our human tendencies, you know, at least be aware of our human tendencies when we see someone going off the beam. Sometimes people will try and run down the road without looking at the map, which is the Bible. And so sometimes as leaders, we need to bring people back and say, "Ah, this is what the Bible says. 
You know, we talked about this last uh, couple weeks ago. You know, we all have the same Holy Spirit, but the person that we are that interfaces with that Holy Spirit is widely different. You know, I'm not you. You're not me. You're no one else sitting in the audience. Even if you're, even if you're married to that person, you may be one in the flesh. Cindy and I have been married for 30 years, but she could tell you, I'm not her. She's not me. She thinks things, she sees the world differently than I do. So she's going to She's going to hear from the Holy Spirit through that person that she is. And the reason why we have the Bible is because sometimes within our brokenness, we may be hearing the Spirit, but our brokenness doesn't quite get it the right way. And we need that Bible, which is other than us, that has an authority set aside on its own to say, when I feel like I can go run off and do something that is not in the Scripture, we can look at the Scripture and say, no, there's, there's the black and white authority. Not tradition, not your feelings, not even what maybe two or three of you decide is a great idea. The Bible. That's why we lean so heavily on the Bible, because it is not, especially when we see in Jesus Christ, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, we don't have anything that is subjective there. Jesus is God among us without any kind of human filter in the way. That's who he is. It's what he said. That's what we do. But if you are a born-again believer in Christ, this is a place that you can try things out. You can grow in Christ. It's a, it's a safe place. It should be a safe place. You don't have to be perfect. We've seen people develop. You've seen people develop. You know, uh, I don't want to like make, you know, make some of our young people kind of uh, feel like they've been called out or anything. But, you know, we've seen people develop. We've seen Rebecca develop. You know, as she's, you know when she started singing, We've seen her get more confidence. Look at Christoph back there. He's like, he's our IT dude now. One of them, him and Michael. When I came here, Christoph was just running around, you know, being a kid. We see people develop. I've seen adults develop. I've seen people come from different backgrounds where they felt like, do I have the right to do this? Yeah. Get in there. Get involved. Develop. See what will happen. And then when you get confident in who you are and what you've developed here, then you can take it out into the world and be confident that in this much rougher arena, which is the world, you can still express who you are in Christ. And you'll know that you're going to get more pushback there. But your confidence has been developed here. That's what the church is. Also, just a reminder, it's a unique place. IBCD is a unique experience. And I'm not, you're not too likely to get an experience like IBCD in your home country. And I'm not just saying that because I, I, I want you, if you're only going to be here for two or three years to spend every weekend here, I know that if you're only going to be here for two or three years, you want to see Europe, totally understand that, support that. But understand, this is a unique experience. And if you're only going to be here for a little while, you're never going to be in a church that's going to have people from 30 different countries. I mean, it's very, very rare. I know if I were to go back to the U.S., I'd be going back to a monoculture. And I don't, you know, I love my country and all that. I just know if I go back to the Northwest and I look out at the congregation that I would stand in front of, it's not going to be as colorful as this. It's going to be pretty much all one shade of peach. <laughs> Some redder peaches than others, but it's going to be pretty much all peach. It's the way it is. And uh, I've come to uh, appreciate this. 
as the, as the variety of the spice of life thing. And, I, and, I, and for me personally, the amazing thing is, is that in spite of the fact we have all these different backgrounds, and I say this all the time, but it, it does amaze me. In spite of all these backgrounds, you, we have decided that we're going to keep our eyes on Christ and we're not going to let ourselves be easily offended. We're not going to let ourselves, we can't completely separate ourselves from our cultures and we shouldn't, but we've decided to have grace. So when someone does something that's a little bit to our cultures, we're going to give grace in that place first, right? And that's good. That's why we survive and thrive. So, take advantage of the opportunity. And if you're going to be here for the long term, then just praise God that you have this opportunity. One reason why I stayed, people ask me, and I don't mean this in a bad way to be snarky or anything like that. I appreciate Germany, but I don't stay here because of Germany. I stay here because of the church. Also, just to know, if you're feeling like, well, I don't really know everything that's going on, First of all, remember, this is a safe place to be developed and to grow. And we will train you if you don't feel equipped. And this is one reason why we brought in Andrea as our, you know, our church development coordinator. Because we realize, you know, if we're going to develop disciples, we need people who are really engaged in kind of the nitty-gritty parts of training. Like, how do you, how do you become an effective Sunday school teacher? And we have people that will help you in that. How do you become, you know, uh, someone that is working on the admin team or the deacons or whatever? We have this like Alspadong idea now. We have training in place. You're not going to be thrown into the deep end, which I admit I've done that in the past. I said, you want to do that? Great. Go ahead and do it. Because I didn't have time to train. And then it was hard for people. They would oftentimes be like, am I doing it right? And I'd be go, well, if nothing's broken, then I guess you are. You know, it's not, it's, not the, it's not a very hands-on way of doing things. Like, I'll check in if the wheels come flying off, then I'll let you know. But we're trying to do that differently now. If you need, if you want that walking with, we'll provide that. We have ministry coordinator training. We have, we have the Discovering IBCD helps you get oriented. We have lots of things in place. Don't not participate because you feel like I'm not qualified to do it or I don't know how well I'm going to do with this. If you want to help out with the homeless ministry, you don't have to be afraid. You're not going to go out there alone. We're not going to give you a bag of stuff and say, figure it out. You know, Fiona will go with you or someone will go with you. Krishna will go with you. Someone will go with you that, that is part of that ministry until you feel like, okay, I can handle this. So keep that in mind too. When you look at the, the possibilities of being involved, you say, I'd like to try that. We'll help you out. If you want to be on a music team, you know, there's some auditioning that takes place if you're singing, but if you're playing and you're just starting out, we'll figure out a way to help develop you so that you can then use these gifts and talents for the kingdom of God and draw people closer to him. So there's lots of other things that could probably be said. But uh, in my own role of being accountable to the greater church and those who organize the ministry fair, I need to probably end the sermon now and uh, get on with life. Uh, get on with what we're doing. And so we're going to do it that. I'm going to close with some prayer. Then we're, then we're going to like clear things at the end of the service. We're clearing everything out, bringing in tables. We have announcements. We have announcements. Well, yeah, yeah. But then after that. Yeah, I'll explain it. All right. See, see, this part of the body is going to explain it. Because <laughs> this part of the body doesn't really know what's going on. That's kind of the story of my life. No. <laughs> Let's pray.
Father God, thank you for this time together. And Lord, thank you for your church. And your church not being just IBCD, the church not being this building, but these group of people, the church. And uh, we understand here uh, that sometimes who the church IBCD is changes from year to year. Uh, because people come and, and we love them while they're here and then, you know, that's just their life. They move on. But Father, we thank you for the unique place you let us be in people's lives and the unique thing that people bring into our life as the church here. There's so many names, uh, some I remember, some I've forgotten over the time, the people who have been impactful here at IBCD. And uh, we thank you for them in the past. We thank you for those who are here in the present. And Lord, just ask that you would guide everybody in their desire to grow and being disciples of Christ, allowing the church to be part of that growth process. Lord, I pray for those that this might be the first time they've really thought of the church as being something more than just to be attended for the sake of pleasing you, but rather something to be engaged in for the sake of becoming more like you. And Father, as we uh, walk in this place together, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.